Uh, good morning. It's so, uh, I'm so excited to be with you uh, this morning at the Waverly campus as we begin this series called Stories from the Seats. And with us this morning is Sally Baker. Sally is the wife of Ed Baker, who taught here last week, one of our long-term teachers. And Sally, I think you are one of the most long-term <laughs> faithful volunteers our congregation has ever had in our 57, 58 years. And so we are delighted to have you here, and I'm anxious to hear your story. Thank you. Well, according to reliable sources, I was born at a very young age, also, although a little bit late in schedule, in Freeport, Illinois, the direct descendant of the founding pioneer pastor of several Baptist congregations, a friend and comrade of General Grant, um, and some Dutch pirates who had fled for England, at the, um, freed for their lives, and had knocked a few vowels out of their names and become upstanding citizens. On the other side of the family, there were Civil War officers, some Ozark Mountain pioneers, and a warden of Leavenworth Prison. As the last hope at the branch of Schofields, my name was supposed to be John McAllister after that noted um, Civil War general. But since I was the wrong gender to fit that, I was given the name of a recently lost and well-loved great aunt on the other side of the family. Now just to get some of this stuff out of the way that you may have heard of so we can get down to the really important issues. Back in my college days, there was a picture of me in the newspaper under the headline, Students Burn Flag on Campus. And in fact, I did take part in that flag burning. What was not clear in the picture or the caption is that we were retiring an old 48-star flag and raising a new 50-star flag. I was part of the university students who were praying at that ceremony. Needless to say, when someone showed my father the picture, I had some explaining to do. It's also true that in the 70s, my father and I were detained in Dallas as hijacking suspects. We may have fit the profile the airport security was watching for, but we were totally innocent. Unfortunately, I'm afraid that having once been a suspect, I may still be on a person of interest list. There are some passages of scripture that have continually encouraged and directed me for decades in my walk of faith. One of those verses is Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Here's another of those powerful scripture verses that has sustained me um, throughout many of the years of my life. Philippians 4, 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition. With thanksgiving, uh, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Scriptures like those are the rock on which my faith is built. And now I'll give you a look at how I got there. If I had to condense the most foundational characteristics of my family into a few words, they would be probably faith, love, creativity, generosity, and humor. Regarding the faith component, I have been richly blessed through my family into which I was born. On both sides of the family, 
there was stretched a long legacy of men and women for whom faith in God was a fundamental part of life. Now, just to keep things interesting, part of my extended family was Baptist, and the other part was Catholic. My immediate family stood somewhere in the middle, something for which I was very thankful, and was secretly a little terrified by extremes on both sides. As I grew older, I saw with more perception, I discovered on both sides of the family individuals having such personal faith and conviction that they were living godly lives of which had, out of which had grown a genuine commitment in Christ and a desire to walk with him. I can't explain it because, of course, um, we were so flawed and strange as any other family, but there was this sense that there was no, one, no choice but love, even when it was hard. Therefore, love, as it was defined in theory and practice, was not just a fuzzy feeling, but a matter of serious commitment. I can't remember there being every a question as whether, to, whether or not to, that love should be carried out in the matters of relationships, health, or circumstances. Over the past couple of decades, when I have had to become caregiver parent, um, first for my aunt and then more recently for my stepmother, Verna, I have realized how absolutely necessary this sort of love really is. During times like those, even though there are lots of good memories, the spark of warm, spontaneous, and joyous feelings um, in a relationship may have gone. However, the commitment of co covenant love has endured, and that will always be a lasting blessing. One of the most exciting and fulfilling things to me is to use the creative gifts and skills that God has given to me. Just a very simple example of that. One of those hands-on things that I really enjoy is when we are watching TV in the evening or on a trip to Michigan um, to visit Dan and his family. Um, I like to crochet baby hats. Um, now, I don't crochet them because somebody told me I had to, um, because I think I should, because it's a, you know, an obligation or something. Um, but it's because I have to do something with my hands. I can't stand to be bored. I learned to crochet when I was uh, waiting for Dan's adoption and had to do something to keep myself sane. Um, and because I am solidly behind um, the alternative's mission. Um, and also, there's a quirky side of me that just tries to make every hat a little bit different. Um, generosity has been another foundation of my family's life. My father had grown up in a poor family and understood how hard life could be. He never forgot those early experiences and made the mission of his life to give as God continued to financially bless him. He used to joke that the IRS reviewed his taxes on a regular basis, and the truth is they really did. Um, the percentage of his contributions was so far out of line that the guess was that his taxes were somehow, somehow flawed or false. He also gave to individuals in need, and often without the recipients having any idea of where the help came from. Um, I had no idea of how many people he had helped with his generosity. Until after he died, I started getting letters from people who had been touched by him. If you know me at all, you know that I have a really strange sense of humor. Actually, I just love to laugh and enjoy the simple things in life and relationships. It sure beats the alternative. There is no doubt that my family was funny. Now, some people would say in more ways than one. Having a sense of humor and enjoying a good laugh was just what we did. 
There were, of course, some sourpusses in our clan, but even they cracked a smile once in a while. Sometimes the humor was merely spontaneous response or something unexpected or unplanned. But other occasions, it was a result of really elaborate planning or practical jokes that had been played. Now that I've considered some of the foundational principles of my family that's built upon, let me tackle some of the life-shaping events. Where to begin? Let me begin with a little background. I became a Christian when I was six. As soon as I came to understand how important it was to ask Jesus into my heart, it was when I was about 13 that I realized that being a Christian involved more than a one-time decision. My father had a lot of business in New York that summer, and my mother and I traveled there with him several times. While we were in New York, we attended the Billy Graham crusade in Madison Square Garden, and it was there that I made the decision that I wanted my life to be a continuing faith journey with God. I was in late grade school, I had a personal interaction with scripture that I had never had before, but something that I have had happened several times since then. Um, Something in the Bible that I read just jumped right off the page into my life. I was curled up on my bed reading from the book of 2 Chronicles about how Solomon got prepared to build God's temple in Jerusalem when some of the words jumped right off the page, right into the question they had about what I should do when I grew up. 2 Chronicles chapter 2, verse 9 says, Provide me with plenty of lumber, because the temple I, must, I build must be large and magnificent. It was like someone had switched on a light. I suddenly knew that I didn't have to worry about what God wanted me to be when I grew up. I just needed to prepare the lumber, God had the blueprint for my life, and he would do the building. That verse stuck in my mind from then on. In junior high, in high school, in college, in grad school, I just kept piling the lumber up and trusting God to build what he wanted my life to be like. And now when I look back, I can see how God did that over and over again. When I was 14, my life as I had known it suddenly screeched to a halt at the edge of a precipice. Somehow I was aware that the next step I took had the potential for plunging me into a deep and horrible abyss or starting me on a new uncharted path. My mother, who was my dearest companion and cherished mentor, became suddenly ill and within two weeks was gone. During her illness, I prayed in desperation for the first time, God, I want your will to be done, but please give me the strength I need. To my utter amazement, as I threw myself into God's grace, I was overwhelmed with an inexplicable peace. Two days after I prayed that prayer, my mother died. Although I was devastated, incredibly, the peace remained. All of my life, my father had been my hero. Of course, I knew he loved me and I adored him, but I did not really know him very well. The fact was that he was a very busy man consumed with the pressures of building and running a growing business. He traveled a lot of the time. When he was in town, he often worked late and had many other demands on his time. Um, Suddenly, there we were, just the two of us, facing life without the person who had brought um, balance and normalcy into our lives. 
The logical conclusion was for me to move to a nearby town where my extended family lived to live with my aunt and uncle. As we sat there on the couch in our living room and I stared at the floor, trying to imagine what it would be like to go to a different school and make new friends, my dad took this covenant love thing um, to a new level. He said, I think we can make this work, Joey. Uh, that was what I was called before I ended up in a men's PE class in, in college. Um, he said, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. How about you? There was no hesitation on my part. I would do whatever it took too. And so we began a wonderful and frightening adventure, um, not just to exist as father and daughter, but to retool our fractured family into a growing relationship that would be unexplored territory for both of us. He remodeled a part of our house into an office and work area, complete with a drafting table, so that he could spend more time at home. I jumped into the routine of household work with lethal determination. I learned to entertain when necessary, and he included me in his travels whenever it was possible. It was hard in many respects. I never experienced a lot of the normal high school experiences, but I wouldn't trade those years for anything. I would never have come to know my father as a person and develop the deep friendship that I had with him if we had not gone through that crucible of making it work after my mother died. He trusted me, uh, and that was a real challenge. It wasn't just our parent-child relationship that flourished. It was an incredible faith journey for both of us. I've always loved reading and learning. No doubt, that's probably why I was expelled from kindergarten for going on a sit-down strike, because I had no patience with silly songs and games and taking naps on rugs. I wanted to get down to the real stuff like reading and math. Full disclosure, you need to know that at a rather young age, I not only decided but also clearly announced to my parents that the one thing I definitely did not want to be when I grew up was a pastor's wife. Something else that may surprise you is I had never intended to become a teacher, but that wasn't God's plan. Um, through an amazing series of circumstances I could never have planned on my own, God, gently but deliberately, led me into the path of teaching. It seemed very strange to me that during college, um, I, pro I powerfully felt God nudging me into teaching. However, I had only taken one education course and had not found that very inspiring. One day, my father was visiting on campus, and in the way he had of getting to the things that were really on my heart, he asked me if I had thought more about teaching. I didn't have a good answer. He said he thought I should ask God to make it clear to me what he wanted me to do. So I agreed I would ask God to make his direction for me clear. But when I prayed that prayer, I could never have anticipated what happened over the next few weeks. Not long after that conversation with my dad, I walked into the dean's office to take care of some business detail. And out of the blue, the dean looked at me and said, have you ever seriously considered teaching? He explained that since I had all but a couple of credits I needed to graduate, I could start taking graduate courses working on a Master of Arts in Teaching degree the last semester of my senior year. What was God doing? 
So I prayed, this time I informed God that I appreciated the offer, but I would have to pay for this and live somewhere. Um, to cut the story short, let me just say that I ended up with two graduate assistantships and a position as the grad student in charge of a dorm. God had done all I had asked. I was overwhelmed and tremendously excited. The next year, when I was about to begin doing some teaching in a freshman English class, I had one more critical request to make of God. All my life, I, I had stuttered. I had gone to speech therapists in school. I had learned to keep from saying things um, and being in situations in which I thought I would stutter. Um, but there was still a problem for me. And what was I going to do? How was I going to teach? Now I cried out to God, how could I do this? I was so afraid of not being able to control what I said. Um, there was no bolt of lightning, but there was a sense of peace that almost seemed tangible. And when I had to stand in front of that first class and teach, I did not stutter. I still stutter occasionally, most often when I'm talking on the phone, which is probably God saying you shouldn't do that quite so much. But there is never a time when I get before a class um, to teach that I don't think of what a gift God has given me to be able to do what I love. Um, then just when I thought I was beginning to catch on to what God had in mind for my future, I went to an inter as an intervarsity delegate to a conference on the church's worldwide mission in Wheaton, Illinois. And there I connected with another intervarsity delegate, a friend of a friend whom I had initially met at InterVarsity's mission conference at Urbana the winter before. Since neither of us knew anyone else um, at the conference, we decided that we'd sit together at that first session. And suddenly, without warning, my life was forever changed. The totally irrational notion popped into my head as we shared a hymn book. I could be married to this man. Where did that come from? Especially since I had made the very deliberate and serious decision to put even casual dating on hold until I was done with grad school. My life was too busy for this sort of thing. And being me, I fought it for quite a while. I'm, I'm talking months. Um, despite the fact that circumstances kept bringing us together until I realized that this was God's plan for both of us. Ed was the other half of whom I'd been created to be, even if he was headed for seminary. At least he felt he was being led into youth ministry, which seemed a little less intimidating to me than being the senior pastor's wife. So this nice Presbyterian boy married a wonderful Baptist girl, he intended, attended an evangelical free seminary and worked at a Bible church while she taught English and writing um, in a North Chicago suburb. Then he became youth pastor in the Reformed Church in America and they moved to Denver, Colorado, where she learned to cook large quantities of food at high altitudes. We have been in ministry together for over 50 years and it is as much an adventure today as it was back then when we were trying to get used to things in Bear Valley. God has led us each step of the way from one place to another, from one ministry emphasis to another. That brings me to something that I really want to share. 
both of us had a very clear sense of what, that Cedar Falls was where God was calling us. But despite that, I still had that reoccurring and nagging uncertainty. I really didn't know how to be a pastor's wife. We moved here in August, and things got off to a pretty smooth start. Amy liked second grade. Dan loved the big yard of the parsonage. I was busy, but adjusting well. But I still had this angst about whether or not I was doing it right. Then God st stepped into the routines of my life and did something amazing that changed me forever. The day after Thanksgiving that year, because I was feeling really sick, I made an appointment with a doctor, and an hour later, I was admitted to Sartori with pneumonia. I don't believe I have ever felt so sick or so alone. Even Ed couldn't stay with me for long because the kids needed him. And in that moment of physical pain, fear of the unknown, and a sense of being totally helpless, I cried out in desperation to God, and incredibly, I suddenly felt an almost tangible peace settle over me. There in that very unlikely place, God had definitely gotten my attention. Um, during that week in the hospital, I began to experience a new kind of family. My children were lovingly cared for. Meals were provided. People came to see me, and we were able to just sit there in the hospital and get to know each other. I was offered the opportunity of teaching an adult Sunday school class when I felt better. Dan's third birthday was celebrated. I mean, what little boy wouldn't like a John Deere cake? But the miracle was much more than the kindest shown at that time of need. It was the beginning of something that has been an integral part of our lives ever since. Orchard Hill, this part of the body of Christ, is the family into which God has called us. The relationships we have had with so many of you are, the grounded, are grounded on the common faith we have in God's unconditional love and his willingness to walk with us in all the circumstances of life, both those that are filled with joy and those that try us to the limit. And the blessing that infuses those relationships is honest and open and real. What God gave me back there in that, hotel, in that hospital room over 40 years ago is a wonderful kind of freedom. I have been able to serve here as God has gifted me, to be whom he created me to be, to pursue my passions, to do what I love, to simply be who I am, knowing that you have accepted me as I am. I want to thank you for allowing the thread of my life to be woven around yours. I cannot say strongly enough how vitally important such genuine family connections are within the church or what an incredible blessing they have been in our lives. So here I am, miles into this narrative, and I have yet to say much about our children. The reason is simple. I don't know how to condense how important they are into a few paragraphs. They are both miraculous gifts from God. Being a mother is perhaps the most important thing I have ever done, or for that matter, I'm still doing. I have never experienced anything that has demanded or given more, drenched me, more with, drenched me with more joy, or provided more of a challenge, or taught me more in tangible ways about how God loves us. One of the most difficult and transformational things that I have come to understand is that Dan and Amy are a gift from God that I have to hold loosely. 
when they were infants, in fact, before they were born or their adoptions came, became a reality, I found myself in a desperate spiritual battle that finally ended when I reluctantly and fearfully um, gave them back to God. As a human mother, I would give my life for them. What God wants me to do is give him my life and allow him to make me part of theirs. If our love covenant of adoption is so powerfully strong with our children, how much more amazing is God's love for us as when we are adopted as his children? Possibly because our family is so small, I perceive this immense significance of our covenant of love with our children as being so incredibly important. I think and I hope they both know that the covenant has no hidden clauses or no expiration date. Although sometimes it has been very hard to remember how to hold them loosely, I have discovered time and time again that God does not lead me to those places and then desert me. In the depths of some of our family's um, struggles, I wrote down a prayer that began, I began to release um, who I was to God and my obligation to worry and to put it into his hands um, to take care of these impossible things. Um, this is a prayer that I have come back to many times. God has always answered it, sometimes in the most amazing ways. And I have discovered that God is sufficient to walk with us through all the circumstances of parenthood. I would simply say, God, I don't understand why this is happening or how you can possibly bring any good out of this mess. Please give me what I need to get through this. Please show me how I can bring your kind of good out of this situation. That prayer has always been answered, often in the most amazing ways. I may be helpless, but God is not. In this instance of saying so little about two relationships that are of such immense value and challenging fulfillment, I guess silence has to be more than golden. And to add to that pile of gold, having a wonderful daughter-in-law and three delightful granddaughters, um, the wealth just overflows. True confession, I am very jealous of grandparents who get to spend a lot of time with their grandkids. We only get to see Becca and Joanna and Miriam two or three times a year. But because I wanted them to get to know us and have a connection with us, I started writing letters to them um, every week when Becca was um, about two years old and have continued to do it for the last 14 years. This year, we also started writing, taking turns every other week, writing a little page of history that we call part of the Baker History Book to send to them so that they would have an idea of what our lives were like and get to know us better. It's kind of a work in progress, but it's been fun. Back in those college days, when I was really beginning to recognize the direction that God was leading, there was another verse that spoke to me in a powerful way. It's John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. I wrote a poem back then when that verse really struck me. Um, it's one that hangs on um, our wall in our hallway at home now. Um, it's something that has meant a lot to me ever since. I'd like to share that poem with you as we close. Chosen. The very word would incite in me the pride of privilege. 
Invite me to rest on laurels confirmed, though not justly won. And tempt me to soothe my constant questioning with the sweet sacrilege that mine was the victory long before the race had begun. But could those persistent fears and doubtings be my victor's crown? Or had I realized the stab of truth, the honest, excruciate pain of knowing I was yet unfit to run? The wreath weighed me down, and I yearned to tear off my burden, to flee before my proving came. Only when I confronted the chooser, tormented by why he'd elected me, a runner yet untried to win eternal victories, then in his face I saw it was not privilege but responsibility, and new strength pulsed through my veins for the joy of being chosen. Thank you. Thank you so much, so much. What a great walk and journey you've had with Christ. So amazing. Uh, I want to say a prayer. Let's pray together. Dear God, dear God, thank you for this woman, Sally Baker. Thank you for uh, what she has, how you've been so real to her since she was a little kid and all through her years. Thank you that she could share this story with us, that we could hear uh, how you've been so active and at work with her. And Father, I want to pray for anyone in this room right now who uh, has been touched in some way by this story. Maybe they were adopted. Maybe they lost a mom. Maybe uh, so many ways that our stories might interact with Sally's. I just pray that you would uh, uh, help us uh, receive from you as we rethink about this story. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.